listening to me? What do you want to do with your life? I want to rock. It started as a conversation, it became a celebration, now it's a podcast, and this podcast should be played loud. This is John Otney. And Colin Westman. And welcome to Rock Talk, the podcast where we talk rock and roll uh, all day, once a month. We don't do it that much. (laughs) But we do, we do it all day. We do it all day. You'll notice every episode is 24 hours long. (laughs) I would love that, it's a marathon podcast. Yeah. See you next week. It's going to be a rough one. <laughs> just told meltdown in the last couple hours. We can't but, even talk after the 24 hours. Our voices just... <laughs> but this is Rock Talk where we talk about rock music. And uh, this week we're giving thanks with a look back at one of the greatest bands of the 60s and 70s. A group whose illustrious career culminated in a final performance at the Hinterland Ballroom in San Francisco on Thanksgiving Day in 1976. That group is the band. I have to say that group instead of that band is the band. Unless there was another group back then called that band. That band. Hey, it's that band. <laughs> They're like worst enemies. I don't know. Um, of course, this performance was uh, documented in the concert film from Martin Scorsese, The Last Waltz, a film that, uh, despite some reservations from the group and fans, I think still stands one of the greatest concert films of its time. Greatest concert film, top five maybe, top ten, twenty. Uh, you haven't given me enough time to think about this. I well, can you think of any considered. other concert films that are that are that big? I think Martin Scorsese is a big name. Purple Rain is a concert film, maybe. I mean, it's a, it's a movie. Yeah, I guess if I don't I know it off the top of my head, I wouldn't call Purple Rain a concert film. Song remains the same, sort yeah, of. That's the only one that comes to mind, <laughs> and it's like that was pretty good. Yeah, it's just got those good. weird, like medieval skits, riding horses on the beach <laughs> and around castles. Kind of dumb. <laughs> I feel like when we watched that in high school, we were—I can't remember if we skipped it, but we were really close to. Like I had the remote in my it. hand. <laughs> it's like, do I need to see John Bonham ride a white stallion? I don't know. Yeah. Um, but no, this is a this is a great uh, concert film. Uh, huge uh, lineup of great big stars, and I think what we're going to do here is we're kind of share our thoughts and feelings on the band, recap the show a little, and while we do it, we're going to rank the films, uh, performances, I suppose, something like that, kind of break them yeah. down, uh, go through all the guest musicians, talk about their performances, uh, reflect. Anything you want to elaborate on in, in terms of what we're going to do here? Or is that basically it? I think that's... I don't know. My idea was we would rank all of the artists based on their performances in the film mm-hmm. and then base them all in terms of their careers. Okay. But we don't have to do that. Well, but it might be kind of We fun. can rank them and then we'll see how easy or difficult it is to go from It there. might be kind of similar, though, because I feel like our... I don't know, enjoyment of their performances might have to do a lot with how much we like these particular artists. Mm-hmm. 
I also wouldn't mind touching on how people feel the film as a representation of the group. I don't know if you want to do that briefly now or near the end. We could do that now. I figured we would just kind of talk about the film in general first and then get to our weird ranking system. Yeah, I don't really know how it came about. I don't know how Martin Scorsese came into contact with Robert Robertson. They seem pretty tight. I'm sure that's a good story, or maybe it's not. Um, I was looking at the Wikipedia earlier today. A good source. A valuable source of information that may or may not be true. Who knows? <laughs> Just got to assume it is. But I think it was something like um, the band's manager was like a big fan of Scorsese, and he got in contact with him, and he's like, I bet you and Robbie Robertson would be good pals. And um, he was right. Put him on a friend date. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because Robbie Robertson went on to, I think mostly he helped compile a lot of soundtracks. I know he scored maybe one film or two films. I can't remember which one that was. Yeah. He was like a music supervisor, I guess. Was but he did title. score one. And so, but they were, anyways, they were friends. And the criticism with this uh, film, mostly it's from within the band, Levon Helm, is that it was kind of, they made it the Robbie Robertson show. The other guys got pushed to the side. Like, they're not as important. Yeah. Robbie Robertson was presented as the group's leader. And Levon Helm saying stuff like, oh, his mic's not even plugged mm-hmm. in. And there's a lot of, like, debate whether or not, like, any of that's true. Or, I mean, all I know is from my perspective. Like, you look at the track listing on, let's say, the second band album and from there on out. I mean, who writes most of the songs? I mean, I'm not trying to pick sides here, but it's Robbie Robertson, right? I mean, he mm-hmm. was... He was the leader of the group. I don't know. Um, I don't think. I don't know if it was that unfair to kind of put him at the forefront. And I don't know. Like I feel like the other members, they get their moments, kind of. I don't know. Did you feel like they kind of got screwed over in this movie? Um, not really. I mean, I kind of get it. Like why he was positioned that way in this movie because he makes a better interview subject than all the other guys mm-hmm. in the band. Um, but I don't know. Watching this, I kind of was reminded of the fact that, like, the band, you know, this is maybe a corny sentiment, but, like, it makes sense that the name of their band was The Band because it feels like a group where every single one of them were kind of equals. Like, you even look at the way they're arranged on stage, like, even Levon Helms, like, kind of near the front with everyone even though he's playing a drum kit yeah but it's that i always felt like yeah these guys were kind of equal as far as musicians and sort of their standing within the group so maybe it wasn't so much that scorsese's like i want to make you my star you're my star you're my friend you're my star Mm -hmm. maybe it was more like it he just like you're saying he just had the most to say that he's the best interview like I mean, Levon Helm was always saying, like, oh, like, Rich Manuel is, like, the heart of the band. And he's a great singer and he's a great performer. But when you ever – the camera kind of is on him, he's kind of talks like a junkie. He's kind of a yeah. weird guy. <laughs> Same with Garth Hudson. He's a bizarre person. And and Rick Danko seems kind of more low-key. It's like – I mean, Robbie Robinson, I think, just was the most charismatic. So I think it just kind of naturally happened like that. I don't think – uh, Scorsese was trying to take a position. I think he's trying to be fair. And like, mm-hmm. there's also I've heard criticism like, oh, at the end they're playing, you know, I shall be released. You can't even see Richard Manuel. But there's also like a hundred fucking people <laughs> on the stage. It's like, well, what are they supposed to do? He's at the side playing a piano. It's like, and that song they mostly focus on Bob Dylan on that last song because he yeah. wrote that song. Um, you know, I think 
I think they did the best they could to represent the band. It's just not all of them are as photogenic, you know? They're a very collaborative group. They worked well with each other, but they weren't like... I don't know. They weren't like the Beatles or something. They weren't like super group of charismatic joking guys. <laughs> you know, a bunch of weird kind of guys from like Ontario and then one dude from Arkansas. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're musicians. They weren't... Uh, they were movie stars. I think it comes yeah. out of that. Um, Which I think makes it surprising that this film is as watchable as it is, yeah, considering yeah. these guys were like, yeah, when I look at them, I'm just like, these guys are hardcore musicians. I mean, there's even like the one performance where they all switched instruments, and if you, you know, were closing your eyes or something, you wouldn't be able to tell that the, the different guys are playing different instruments than you're used to hearing with this band. Like, and. I mean, they do give some time to point out that, like, yeah, Garth Hudson was, like, the prodigy of the group. He's just, like, a musical genius. <laughs> he even has that look of, like, he, like, looks yeah. like a fucking classical composer. Always with in the deep hair just f- f- flown back, and it's like, yeah. Yeah, they don't need to perform, you know, in front of the camera as just themselves, because they can perform as musicians. They can shine there, mm-hmm. not so much in the interviews. Well, let's talk about um, uh, some of the performances, some of the guests. I don't know if you have the order. I do have the order, and I gave each performer a rating on a scale of 1 to 10. Though it probably should have been on 1 to 5, because I didn't go any lower than 5. Okay, and uh, as for touching on the band, like, are we going to do that too? Or is it assumed they're the best? Are we going to we gonna wait, save them for the end? Oh, are we rating the band? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> You're the one with the list. I don't think I was planning on that. I think it's assumed that they're, that they're pretty good. <laughs> They do a good job. Yeah. So let's talk about some of the musical guests. So the very first one is the guy that they kind of originally backed as a backing band, which, you know, they started as a backing band for other artists earlier in their career. And the first one was Ronnie Hawkins, nicknamed the Hawk. Definitely had to look him up. Yeah, which I guess he was like a Toronto singer guy i have I, probably I, why I, didn't really, I really don't know what his deal is i'm guessing he just that's kind of the one thing he's known for is he was originally the band's lead singer mm. yeah i looked it up it seems like he mostly did covers rockabilly covers yeah he looks like a country guy but he, most mostly rockabilly they do uh who do you love famous Bo right. diddley song mm-hmm. i like the george thorgood version personally it's like the one thing george thorgood ever did i'm like i like that fine because i don't really like him very much He's dad rock. I'm not there yet. <laughs> that is dad rock. <laughs> like hardcore dad rock. <laughs> Him and Bachman Turner Overdrive. Uh-huh. Uh, but, so this is on a scale of 1 to 10? Yeah. That's so. And you said nothing goes lower than 5. <laughs> yeah, so maybe I should have redone my ratings before this, but I gave him a 7. <laughs> okay. Because I was like, it's solid. He's giving a good performance. 
he seems charismatic enough. It's just he's doing who do you love? <laughs> I think that's he's only charismatic. I don't know that he has much musical talent, but he's like he's like zooming in, like, hey, look at me telling jokes. I'm forty one years old, yeah, but I'm a rockin'. <laughs> it definitely feels like this was his moment. He's like, I'm never going to get a shot like this again <laughs> to be in a mo- major motion picture with all these living yeah. legends. I'm going to take it for all it's worth. So he has fun. And yeah. it's a easy to like song no matter who's doing it. It's mm-hmm. not super challenging. Um, I mean, if at least you're going to do it, like if you're going to play it safe like he does. Yeah. So yeah, the seven sounds about right. I would probably would have even gave it, I don't know, six. Just if I, I, That's fair. Stage presence is good. A musical talent is just like you can pull a guy off the street you can do that he's just as good <laughs> but would you want to have a beer with him would i want to have a beer with him? sure <laughs> he seems like he seems like he's got some stories and not only does he have stories but he'll tell them regardless of whether or not you want to hear them exactly, exactly. It's like, hey i got here let me tell you about this one thing that happened once <laughs> you're like oh yeah <laughs> who, you're, who are you you're from canada you're a musician um so yeah okay ronnie hawkins Next up after that was Dr. John. I like Dr. John. He does Such a Night, uh, which is probably my favorite song off of that album, Right Place, Wrong Time. I've only heard like two of his albums. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's interesting because he's kind of an eccentric guy and he's got a lot of upbeat uh, numbers, but he plays it more laid back with the song he chooses to do. Yeah, um, that's kind of how I felt. Too. It was just, I don't know. I like that song a lot, though. All right. I think it sounds better on the record with, um, I think it's more of like a keyboard or an electric piano as opposed mm-hmm. to a traditional piano. I like that song, personally. All right. I don't feel like I'm in a position to judge because Dr. John's one of those guys that I've, I've never really attempted to get into. He seems all right. It's He's like, got an album on the Rolling Stone Top 250. Yeah. His first one. Somehow. I've never listened Gris, to it. Gris, I have no idea how to pronounce it. It's a hard... It's a soup. It's gris, 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 gris. I just assume it's gibberish, and that he's probably crazy. (laughs) I don't really know much about Doctor John, but I always feel like I hear that he's eccentric, which wouldn't surprise me. I just feel like Pat Oswalt has a joke on one of his albums about (laughs) he's doing like some bit about how when he was living in Virginia outside of Washington D.C., there was this like critic, culture critic on the news who would get excited about stuff that happened like a block from his house and say, that's the cultural event of the year. <laughs> and he's saying, like, the, the event of the year was the uh, Alden Street Chili Cook-Off when Dr. John showed up. And then he does, like, his Dr. John impression. He's like, yeah, sometimes, like, alligators wearing a hat, and, like, I don't know. Like, is that really what he's like? <laughs> so I'd love to get more into, like... The mythology, the mythology of, Dr. of Dr. John. I think he's fun. I think it was a good match, mm-hmm. personally. Uh, what did you give it ranking wise? I gave it six out of ten. I'd probably give it an eight. I like it. I like that song. I don't know if it's the best version of that song, but I like that song. So All right. it was an interesting choice of song to perform. You probably should have played something a little more upkey. Fair enough. Next one was a dude I think we're both fans of, it's safe to say. Uh, Neil Young played uh Helpless, which might be my favorite Neil Young song, so I was a big fan of this performance. I, I wish he played more. Maybe he did. There's there's more, like, there's stuff that isn't in the movie. Yeah. I know they released, like, a triple album of the movie soundtrack. I, th- I think it's Although, just because... maybe that, I don't know, maybe that might be as long as the movie is. How long is a triple album? Pretty long. It's probably, like, 120 <laughs> minutes. 
I would guess. I guess. Maybe maybe that or longer. But Neil Young, uh, I, I wish there was more because, one, I'm a big fan of Neil Young. Two, it seems like such a perfect fit. It's like, wow, it's the one other Canadian musician <laughs> He's like, who also plays like Americana. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it was, yeah, it's just a perfect fit. It makes total sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just wish there was more of it. I feel like he cracked a joke too. I wish I'd written down some of the the banter. Not that there's a lot of good banter. Yeah. Like it's funny. I was like, I did look at a few quotes from the movie before we were doing this, and the one that kept coming up, it was just like Eric Clapton saying, "Hold on," <laughs> like he's putting like on a strap or something. It's like, why is this in multiple spots? He just happened to say that. It's a good. Quote. Like you go to IMDb quotes. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, hold on, Eric Clapton. It's gonna say that. I think it comes out of part. I feel like when he's playing his guitar, like his strap comes out. Oh, like that. yeah. That's probably where he's like, hold on. <laughs> Famous line. Yeah. Iconic moment. Iconic moment. Rock. One of the greatest hard rock moments. Hold on. Number 95. Eric Clapton drops his guitar a little bit because his strap comes but keeps off. keeps rocking. keeps on rocking. But Neil Young, he holds on through the whole performance. <laughs> he really brings it home. Great song. Great number. How does he rank? Uh, I gave it. Uh, I should have just given it a ten. But I gave it nine out of ten. Cause it felt like it was seemed a little tacked on that Joni Mitchell singing like backup, and it felt kind of weird. She's like backstage singing backup. Like why uh, wasn't she just on stage? Yeah, weird. Room? Seemed like they should have. Maybe it would have messed up the shot. Maybe. I was like, no, no, no. I gotta keep it back. I gotta keep the shot just perfect. Nah. Yeah. I wish he was in the movie. Was he in the movie? Yeah, he was briefly. Yeah. He was. He's like sitting on a couch talking to Robbie Robertson. He's in it like, just as much as he was in that Rolling Stones concert movie. Or at the end, he's just like, come on, we gotta go. Yeah. He's barely in that. Yeah. Um, not enough. <laughs> not nearly enough. Can he play music? Marty Scorsese. Can he lay down the jams? <laughs> <laughs> what? Like bass? <laughs> I'm gonna Google, can Martin Scorsese jam <laughs> <laughs> not can he play an instrument i just use jam oh man okay bad choice of words really it's hard for me to see him play music he's just too busy watching movies he's, he's just too busy i can't find anything so he must not you think even if he did it like in his spare time he'd be like oh when in spare time marty likes to play the mandolin <laughs> Maybe he can sing really well. He just plays "Give Me Shelter" all the time. He likes that song. I'm surprised it's not in this one. Just, just, just one more time. Throw it in there. It's a good song. Good song. Help us nine. That sounds pretty good. I, you know, Neil Young. He's great. This is him. Around his peak. I don't know if he had a peak. He's always been good. He just kind of kept going. He's still pretty good. He's the man. I do. I do feel like he's someone I should try and see live sometime. I mean, I have. I've looked into it. It's always expensive. Yeah. I guess I did see him with CSNY. That was, that I'm was jealous of that. Good. Just CSN. Yeah. It's a little different. <laughs> they, no, they, Ohio. They played, they played rocking in the, <laughs> keep on rocking in the free world and broke one of his strings. Oh, but he just kept playing because he's so rocks. pissed. <laughs> yeah, no, I wish I'd seen that. I, yeah, it's definitely a, like an artist that's still like on my bucket list, but I don't know if I'll ever get the chance. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I still listen to his current albums, and I still every once in a while they're still interesting. So, always one of my favorites. Yep. 
The next one, you might disagree with me because this next one wasn't filmed live, but I think this is my favorite performance. It's the Staples Singers doing The Weight, which is kind of the band's most iconic song, I mm-hmm. would say. Yeah. Definitely the best for car commercials. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I, can't, I can't remember how it starts, I think. I think Levon Helm Levon sings starts. the first verse, and then it's mostly the Staples singers sing the rest of the song. But you know they're all great singers, and I haven't listened to like a ton of their music, but you know a few of their songs I really love. But yeah, it invokes that sort of gospel quality that is in some of the band's music. I mean, they cover so many different styles of American music, but yeah, it's great to hear that aspect of the band in this performance. Yeah, I mentioned that performance before we podcasted a couple days ago. And I think what I meant to say is that it's not so much that I don't like the performance. I feel like it's a little bit of a disappointment that it's a live show and then we get their biggest song off in like a kind of controlled environment away from people. I I think it loses a little bit of the energy of the crowd. But, I mean, performance-wise, yeah, it's great. No, I think it's a great performance. And I like uh, it's filmed really well. Maybe that's the reason they wanted to choose that song in particular is because they really wanted you to like be able to see everybody and see them doing this because it's one of their best songs. So they didn't they wanted it to be as perfect as possible in that way. So yeah, no, I'm cool with it. Um, and I think they do the same thing for uh, the night they drove Old Dixie down. I think it's a song after it actually, but it's just them. There's no guest performers. And that's my favorite band song. It's a good one. So, but Staple Singers, uh, where does that rank? I gave them ten out of ten. Yeah, ten out of ten. That's fine. I probably go. I probably go nine, just because I wish I had the crowd. But yeah, that's not the prof- that's not the artist's fault. Fair enough. <laughs> I'm sure that they're still channeling Marty's energy, which I'm sure is just electric. He's just running around. Just I mean, this is Marty on cocaine too. So he's extra. Oh yeah. <laughs> He's probably and, uh, everywhere. He's probably like every cameraman. He's probably just switching. I feel it. like that was a thing, though, was that one of the cinematographers, because he hired like a bunch of like the best Hollywood cinematographers at the time, like in addition to Michael Chaplin, like Laszlo Kovac, and that other Polish guy. Hard name. name. Vilmos <laughs> Zygmunt. That's the one. Um, yeah. I think one of them like just turned their headphones off because Martin Scorsese was shouting too many directions at the camera. <laughs> I could be wrong, but didn't he, what did, didn't he work on that uh, Woodstock movie before? Didn't he do Woods in oh, some capacity? Scorsese? Yeah. Was he an editor? He wasn't a cinematographer. He wasn't, he wasn't out there with cameras. Right? No, he was an editor, right? He, he was like an assistant editor or something. So he knows what he wants when it comes to rock and roll. <laughs> yeah, He's sure. been doing it for a long time. Even before his directing career took off, so yeah, I think yeah he just knows what's what's visually appealing, and I think it really worked out in the case of that performance and in the whole film. Sable Singers, very good. What do we have next? Followed by my least favorite performance in the film. It's not terrible. It's just I don't know Neil Diamond. Before we get into the performance, how do you feel about Neil Diamond in general? Uh, I would love to know. Because I have no I, idea what you're gonna say. Yeah, I don't know what I'm gonna say either. Because <laughs> I have, I just don't think about him that often. Have you really sat down and listened to just a Neil Diamond greatest hits or something? Um, I remember driving in a car with our friend Nancy in high school, and he was listening to 
Neil Diamond Grace. What a fucking weird teenager. But yeah, that's like the only memory I have. Otherwise, it's just like songs all here every once in a while in random contexts. And I'm always like, yeah, this is music, I guess. I think my opinion about Neil Diamond is. And I've only ever heard greatest hits. I've never sat down and listened to like an album album. Mm-hmm. Is that I think he's a great songwriter, but I think he's a really cheesy performer. I mean, yeah, he does have I, a couple I, songs that are pretty cheesy in general, <laughs> but I think he's got some really good songs too. I, I really love the song "Kentucky Woman," mm-hmm. "Solitary Man," uh, all the songs he did for the Monkees. Those are great songs. Yeah. But when he does them, there's just something. It's like it's like your music teacher's going up there's like, well, kids, check it out. I'm getting out my guitar. <laughs> this is how it's really done. Yeah, I think it's just his voice I don't like. <laughs> he just seems like, I don't know, just like too machismo, just like too, just leaning into it. Like, Row! Yeah, he's like a Vegas performer that escaped Vegas. <laughs> Going to the heartland of America. Yeah. Um, and he did what? Dry Your Eyes, I think, is a song. I think he did. Okay. Um, and I didn't it was, know it. yeah, it was just lame. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it's just, it didn't seem to work. Like, it's not like, he didn't feel like the same genre. Not that it really had to have a bunch of artists that all felt like Americana or American roots music, but he felt very, I mean, he's a pop star, you know? It didn't feel like the right environment for him. I don't know how he ended up at this gig. Just good buddies with somebody, I guess. Well, I guess it connects to an interview where they're like, yeah, back in New York in the early 60s, we were hanging around the Brill Building with all these great songwriters. And, like, one of them they named was Neil Diamond. I'm guessing he was writing songs then (laughs) at the Brill Building. Yeah, because it seems like a really weird, like, match. It's like, oh, Neil Diamond and the band, okay. Yeah. Maybe they go way back. I don't know. It's like getting Mickey Dolan's out there with the band. <laughs> what if the band had done, like, uh, I don't know, Sleepy Gene or Daydream Believer? I would like to see that. I would, too, actually. <laughs> I'm sure it would have a lot of, like, sweet organ. <laughs> <laughs> or clavinet or something cool. Yeah. That's been working as magic. So what did you give that song uh, or performance ranking wise? I gave it a five out so of ten. So you gave it the lowest. Jesus, it, isn't even that it, it got an F basically. Yeah, I guess that's a good way of looking at it. She <laughs> just yeah, yeah, F minus. <laughs> Wear those stupid glasses too. That's where the minus comes in. Mm-hmm. I like Neil Diamond. Um, I don't love Neil Diamond, but I definitely don't like Neil Diamond in this. So who played after Neil? After Neil, it was uh, Joni Mitchell. Oh yes, I wasn't familiar with the song she's played. I, I am. Either. I am a Joni Mitchell fan. Um, I don't know if she's the best performer for like a, I don't know, a big rock band performance. And I, but I feel like she's fine here. Yeah, she's fine. I I like Joni Mitchell. Okay, I've only ever heard Blue, but I like it. Mm-hmm. She definitely seems like she'd be more at home at like a folk festival or a small a gig where everyone's sitting down, but like not in chairs, like <laughs> on grass uh, yes. or a carpet <laughs> or a coffee shop. Uh-huh. But yeah, I mean, I think she works fine. She certainly got. I don't know if she's doing one of her songs. I'm not sure, but uh, I don't know. It, uh, it sounded uh, good to me. I wish I could remember the songs better. I should have wrote down what uh, the songs yeah, they performed I too. I mean, I also like her being here because it kind of reminds you that Jody Mitchell's like 
the one woman in this sea of dudes that defined all of 60s music like when i think about her i feel like you could make a good case that she's kind of like the most important female artist in rock really i mean she there was no one doing like independent singer songwriter stuff before her and i think she's pretty great there's joan bias that's kind of a different scene yeah that's true a little earlier though she never really was quite as big but sure shout out to joe bias too but yeah if you're talking like woodstock era into the 70s i think Joey Mitchell's when you go fest it's a whole dude fest just you know handlebar mustaches basically dudes that dress like civil war generals (laughs) that was a good chunk of the 70s (laughs) sing their hearts out but no she does a great job uh what did you give her ranking wise i gave her seven out of ten okay you know serviceable (laughs) sounds sounds good next was uh i don't know i feel weird putting him on here because he wasn't a singer but paul butterfield laying down some harmonica do you know who that is (laughs) i know paul the the Paul Butter is a blues band. Yeah, Paul yeah. Butterfield. Don't they have a band. a uh, Rolling Stone album? Yeah, I have that album on vinyl. It's, I can't remember if I've heard good. it, so I must not. It must not have too much of an impact. Yeah, it's not like super remarkable, but you're like, this is some solid white guy blues. Oh, white guy blues. Yeah. Is he also English Ooh, or American? I assume he's American. Seems like most of the people there were either American or I Canadian. Think, I think Paul Butterfield blues band were out of Chicago. I think I, I was mostly interested in hearing that album because Mike Bloomfield plays, played in that band at that time, and he was kind of the guy that made Bob Dylan want to go electric, mm-hmm. and then he played in his band during 65, 66. But he's not there. Paul Butterfield come, comes out and plays some harmonica, and it's fine. I gave him a 6 out of 10. Sounds... Okay, I don't even I don't even remember. Yeah, <laughs> and I watched it just two you days ago. You probably wouldn't if you weren't keeping score at home like I was. And Paul Butterfield, Chicago, Illinois. It's like one of the bluesiest places you can come from. Chicago or like the, New Orleans, the Delta. Yeah, Delta <laughs> or Chicago. Those are real blue cities. Oh real yeah. Blues man. Next up, one of one of the titans of Chicago blues, Muddy Waters. Oh yeah, I don't I didn't forget him. Yeah, he's got great presence. He. Yeah, he's fucking amazing. He brings the house down. Even though he's playing one of those songs that, like, I'm sure every person up there playing music with him has covered at some point. It's the Manish Boy. It's kind of just one of the classic blues staples. But when you hear him singing that song, (laughs) it's just, like, amazing. And he has such a weird voice because it almost feels like he's talking... But he's talking like with like really loud or with like a lot of authority. I don't know. He's, yeah, presence is a good way to describe yeah. Muddy Waters. Certainly not a thing a scrawny white guy could ever do. Nope. <laughs> it was weird for me seeing Muddy Waters because in my mind, like I always hear about you know when I was first getting into rock, you know, a lot of these '60s guys saying, "Oh, like the Rolling Stones, like oh, I love Muddy Waters or Cream, like oh, okay, I love Muddy Waters." And I'd never really, really like seen him, so he's yeah. always this mythological like figure, like King Arthur or something. It's like, oh, did he, was he ever real? Really so legendary. Yeah. So it was it just it was crazy seeing him because he's like so like in my mind like larger than life and died like hundred years ago or something. You know, I always forget. No, he's in the early sixties. He's a, one of those great uh, blues guys, bluesmen. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel bad that I haven't really gotten more into his records. 
Um, have you dabbled in any of his? his yeah, his I actually bought like the Muddy Waters anthology when I was in high school. <laughs> oh I wow! Guess, I guess I was just like, I should check this guy out. He's so respected by all these '60s rockers I've been listening to. And yeah, it's it's, it's good if if you're willing to sit down and listen to the blues listen to stuff where like a lot of the songs kind of sound the same but you're like eh, it's okay well, yeah no i've listened to robert johnson's whole discography so i know all about songs sounding the same yeah. it you know it's all about what you bring out of, like for your out of your personality you know exactly. all those blues guys have their own like persona that's almost more important than the actual song it's like no one else could do what they're doing right here mm-hmm. just found out muddy waters name real name is not muddy waters it's mckidley morganfield yep <laughs> not quite as cool no. next you're gonna tell me sun house is real name is it's sun house <laughs> oh it's not all right world's broken anyways how's the how's the how's the rating on that I give him a nine out of ten. Oh yeah maybe i should have given him a 10 out of 10 i don't know it's pretty awesome uh next up was uh the iconic performance we've been hailing this whole time eric clapton eric hold on clapton hold on clapton (laughs) old slow hand i feel like every time we do a podcast where we mention eric clapton he collects more nicknames (laughs) god slow hand i know we had a couple those are the real ones but i feel like we were throwing on some others i don't know what podcast that was yeah but eric clapton you can't have like a like a all-star musician you know, line up without him showing up somewhere. If it's well, a big concert with a bunch of people, he's gonna be there. He knows everybody. He just knows everybody. <laughs> you know, and he can play. He does do pop and blues and like I guess Americana stuff too. He just fits everywhere. And what song did he do? I have no idea. <laughs> Some blues song. It was. It was. Uh, I don't. Yeah, I don't remember. You know, I only remember the songs where it's like, oh yeah, that was really, that was really cool. Yeah. Um, serviceable. Yeah, I don't know if it's a super remarkable performance, despite the strap malfunction. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'd rather watch Clapton play the blues than watch Clapton play dad rock, <laughs> which he was certainly mastering at this point in the 70s, I'm guessing. Oh, yeah, this is, isn't this around the time the Slow Hand album came out and, like, the song Cocaine? Probably. I wonder what his drug situation was at this point. Yeah, I don't know. We haven't really talked about it, but I kind of assume everybody was uh, <laughs> everybody in this film was on so much drugs. Everybody at this point. seemed pretty high. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like there's a performance uh, we're going to get to that I've heard a lot of people talk about. What was he on? So it'll be a surprise. <laughs> Maybe nothing. Maybe nothing. Maybe nothing. Uh, but yeah, Clapton. I mean, he just goes and he goes in and jams. He probably didn't even practice. He probably showed up a couple minutes before. He put his strap on. Right? And he's like, "Do you know any uh, blues songs?" He's like, "Oh yeah, I know like eight thousand blues songs. I'll just play whatever one that I can think of." <laughs> he's like, "Yeah, I know all of them." And he just goes in, and does a competent job. You know, mm-hmm. does his work, does his homework. Yeah. So what'd you, what'd you rank him? Well, when you say it like that, I should have given him a seven out of ten, but I gave him a six out of ten. Oh no. <laughs> You want me to change it? I, you can give it a six, but I'm, my, I personally, I'm it's just like a seven. That's like a C, which seems appropriate. C plus, C plus, six, six point five. All right, I'm changing it to six point five. <laughs> Math's getting difficult at this yeah. point. Uh, the next one was uh, Emmy Lou Harris, who's someone I've known forever, but have 
have also known nothing about forever, really. Me too. I'm kind of in the same boat. Seemed like a competent performance. I don't remember any specifics of it other than that it's the performance where everybody switched instruments. That's cool. So that's fun. Maybe that factored into it too. I like that. I really like that one. Yeah. That's cool. So I gave her a 7 out of 10. Yeah. Maybe it was her idea for them to switch instruments. <laughs> so let's see, you had Levon Helm on mandolin. Yeah. Ryan Robertson always sticks to guitar. So that was, he was still on guitar. But it was mm-hmm. like a different kind of guitar. It was like a hollow Oh, body. is that the, was that the one where it's got like the huge-ass strings? That it like was pretty big. Flying off the handle. Yeah. If you know what I mean. So I don't, I don't know what kind of hollow. It looked like a hollow body, but it was really, it was really big. It was weird. And Richard, and Richard Manuel's on uh, drums. And yeah. Garth Hudson has an accordion. I believe Rick Danko is playing uh fiddle or viola i'm not sure when you're playing that kind of music what it's called it's definitely yeah. not violin if you're playing it like in a rootsy song it's gotta be it's gotta be that fiddle okay or viola or cat string box you know something some other nickname let's just assume it's cat string box <laughs> <laughs> it's a good day for a bed yeah cat string box okay so next one uh, performance I'm all I'm a big fan of is uh, Van Morrison doing Caravan is it? Yeah. Like, da, 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 da. This yeah. is the one I was talking about where someone you think he's on awesome. drugs? Uh, not so much drugs as much as just intoxicated. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm just all about this performance because he's just putting everything into he's being like a total dad in this performance like he's not in that great a shape but he's got like this sequins like jumpsuit but it's like it's unbuttoned so his like t-shirt <laughs> gut is kind of hanging out and he's doing all these kicks all over the place it's awesome i love it all right i think i may have discovered the answer from the most reliable source i'm sure you've heard you've heard of quora no. It's, it's like a classier Yahoo Answers. Okay. Where people ask questions. And this was asked uh, just uh, last year, 2015. And the person on Quora asked Was Van Morrison drunk during his 1978 <laughs> performance of the band recorded in The Last Waltz? And Rick Klugman, who notes himself as heavy metal aficionado. <laughs> Because, you know, like a Yahoo answers, you always say, like, oh, I'm an expert in, or like, I'm a teacher. But this, this man is a heavy metal aficionado. Says, mm-hmm. He just says, no, what you're witnessing is an extreme case of stage fright. Morrison preferred doing smaller venues because larger ones tended to make him nervous. He only accepted the invitation to perform at the last waltz because of his friendship with the band. When it came time for him to perform, he refused to go on and had to literally be pushed on stage by his manager. <laughs> that can't be true. But Rick Klugman, this is, hmm. heavy metal aficionado, Colin. It just sounds like one of those moments in a movie where a guy, a kid's like so nervous to go on stage and they throw him on stage and he just fucking nails it. He just puts everything into it to everyone's surprise. Yeah. So I'm calling Van Morrison the the underdog of this movie, MVP. It's it's energetic. Um, yeah, you know, I've, I'm seeing multiple people say that he didn't want to do it. Hmm. Maybe he didn't want to do it, so he, like, chugged a beer. <laughs> like, a bunch of beers. A bunch of beers. I, I don't really know a lot about um, Van Morrison, so I don't know if he was, like, a like a, like a party dude. <laughs> I don't know. Time one on. I feel like his reputation is just for being kind of cranky, but I don't know. I don't know if he was, like, a hard drinker. Well, it's hard. Hard, hard rocker. Hard partier. He partied on stage. I don't know. <laughs> 
I mean, he's he's attracted the uh, heavy metal fans, yeah. <laughs> like Rick Klugman. <laughs> his white man soul. When's uh, Van Morrison gonna do his heavy metal album? Maybe he has. <laughs> I can't imagine him singing. He's got to do like a like a scat heavy metal song. Yeah, maybe. That sounds. That sounds either like the best thing ever or the worst thing ever. I'm mm-hmm. on the fence on that. So, how did you rank that? I gave nine out of ten. Nine out of ten for his dad moves. Dad moves. Great performance, but so many dad moves. <laughs> and what the fuck is he wearing? At least I get why in later years he wears like a hat. He just looks ridiculous. <laughs> it also kind of reminds me of like, yeah, if you're like a kid, like a like a play or something, but they're like the costume is clearly for someone smaller than you, <laughs> or it's a child's costume. Be like, I gotta go out there and nail the part. I go out there and play Peter Pan. Boom, best performance. <laughs> He doesn't love Van Morrison, though. Yeah. And then uh, final performance was another one where the performer didn't really want to do it. was uh, Bob Dylan, the guy that the band sort of got famous uh, backing up in the mid-60s. Was it because he just wanted to hang at home and just veg out on turkey? <sighs> Maybe. <laughs> Why didn't he want to do it? Lay turkey, lay. <laughs> lay across my big glass plate. <laughs> Do you know why you didn't want to do it? <laughs> I believe it was like he didn't want it to overshadow some other concert movie he was involved in or some movie he was mm, doing. He would have done concert for Bangladesh, but I feel like that was like, that was like three years earlier, before. Well, the thing is about this, um, it's actually very appropriate that we're doing this in 2016 because the concert technically happened in 76, but the movie got in 78. Okay. So I wonder, yeah, maybe it was close to like a concert for Bangladesh. No, or it something. was something, something else, else that I hadn't heard of, and I was like, you know, he was right to think that this movie would overshadow. We don't even know what it is. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, I feel like it it came like down to the wire, like backstage. Like he came and he was like, "I'll perform, but I don't want you to film it." So they're like, "Oh, all the cameras are off." <laughs> <laughs> He's pl- <laughs> What's that red light? That's the off button. He's heavily featured, yep. especially at the the last number when everybody gets comes out to do "I Shall Be Released." Yeah, which is a great moment. He he felt very at, at home there. I mean, yeah, he got he made the band famous basically, and they had the basement tapes, and uh, he had to be there. I can't yeah. believe he would have ever thought, like I can do guys. I like that your Bob Dylan is low key Cartman. Hey guys, I found you. But yeah, his performances are good. It's uh, good to see him singing and stuff. <laughs> I don't know what to say about it. It's like curly hair, but it's down. Yeah, like that's a Bob weird. Dylan. That's a weird, weird era. I don't know if this was like the start of his like born again Christian phase. I'm not sure. But What's his most recent album. He's got so many albums at that point. Destiny is the only well, one. Well, actually, no. I guess it would have been '76. That was when Desire came out. Desire. Was kinda... Is that the one I'm thinking of that has Hurricane on? Yeah, that's what it's called. 
Okay. So he was in a pretty good period at this point. Just a year removed from Blood on the Tracks. So which ones were in the movie? Forever Forever Young, young and they do... Maybe follow you down. Yeah. I'm looking at the, the set list now. It looks like he did uh, a couple more, too. He did, like, three other songs. Mm. It's interesting seeing what songs did not make it into the movie, but yeah. were also performed. Like, Van Morrison did another did another one. He did... I wonder if that fucking rocks. <laughs> he just had to, like, what's the most Irish thing I can do right now? Yeah. Clapton did a song called Further Up on uh, on Up the Further Up the Road. Why could I have so much trouble with that? Mm-hmm. Sometimes called Further On Up the Road. <laughs> what a disaster. This is just good for me. I need this right now so I can check out all the songs that we talked about that I didn't remember. Like, oh, well, what song did they do? <laughs> But I'm all, I think I'm all caught up. Solid, solid show. I wish I'd gone. Yeah. <laughs> it seems pretty good. Oh, we didn't talk about the uh, couple of few guest musicians that pop in at the end. Oh, yeah. Ron Wood and Ringo come on and play that last song. Looks like Yeah, they, it looks like they were on I Shall Be Released and then two jams. Uh, I think also I read that Stephen Stills played a jam with them, but it didn't make it into the movie because who wants to just watch dude's fucking jam yeah that's one of those things where sometimes it's more fun to play than to watch <laughs> oh yeah i know i played in a jam band in high school and it was really fun to play in a band like that but i was like i would never want to listen to this music well the important thing is they had fun god this must be the longest show <laughs> but, but damn solid solid show and as for ranking the band, I think they did the best, probably. Ten <laughs> ten it was ten. solid. I I love that song they did at the, they did like a like a theme for the movie at the end. That was really cool. Yeah. Just called I guess it just called theme from the last waltz. I assume it's a Robbie Robertson number. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know who else would be. That was cool. Yeah. That was a cool way to go out as the cameras kind of just pay, slowly kind of pans away, zooms out. They're on the stage. Mm-hmm. I love that. Um. Is there anything else we wanted to touch on in the movie, or did you want to? Comp- were you, was there was there more to the ranking? Was there another step? <laughs> no. Is there, is there like gold, silver medals and stuff? I mean, what, what do you mean? Well, who are the who are the top ranked ones? Let's, okay. Who are the top three? So I guess the top the three. Uh, well, there's uh, there's a tie. It would be top four, I guess. Because I gave the Staple Singers 10 out of 10, but then 9 out of 10 was uh, Neil Young, Muddy Waters, and Fan Morrison. Yeah. <laughs> were my favorites. They get the Rock Talk Awards. Yep. It's got to be a thing at some point. We've got to do a Rock Talk Award, yearly award show. Oh, uh, yeah. Maybe like the Rock Talk <laughs> Hall of Rock. <laughs> I like your ideas, but I don't know what they are. <laughs>
Yeah, so if you want to check out The Last Waltz, it is currently available, at least at the time of this podcast, hopefully still, Amazon Prime and Hulu. If you haven't seen it, check it out. If you don't know anything about the band, it could be a good introduction. I don't think I knew a lot about the band the first time I ever saw it, so it was a good introduction to the band for me. Yeah. I really, I usually just stick to the first two albums. I think most people do. Third one's pretty good, too. Yeah. Took me a while to check that one out, but it's good. But yeah, the band... I wish more of those guys were alive. Uh, how many of them are dead now? Oh, the only one, Garth Hudson and, and Robbie Robertson are the only ones still alive. Rick Danko died in the 90s. Hmm. He got like really fat and just had all these problems and just li- lived hard. And uh, same with Richard Manuel, but even sooner, early 80s. Yeah. Which is too bad because I know they re- they broke up, you know, obviously, the time of this film. And they reunited in the 80s. Um, and they kind of kept going off and on throughout the 90s without Richard Manuel and without Robbie Robertson. So it's like, you're, how you can call yourselves the band? You only got three of the, the five guys. So it's like, you're like part of the band. Yeah, it's definitely got to be a weird thing when you are in, when you're an artist in a band like the band, where it's like, you're not stars, but you're famous. They were a pretty successful yeah. band by the time they broke up at the time of this this concert film um yeah (laughs) luckily i think i think even though there's been kind of tension off and on between robbie robertson there's the guys i think they've patched it up along the way at least Mm -hmm. i know when levon helm died robbie robertson visited him and you know any bad blood they had i think was under the bridge they're good so that's good yeah and Left a lifetime of great music to check out. Other music to check out will be music in our next segment, which is called Yesterday and Today. This is a segment where Colin and I each recommend an album from the past and an album... Well, I guess all albums are from the past, if you think about it. (laughs) But an album from the more recent past, uh, usually ones this year. I guess you could recommend an album from the future. Like, I'm just like, you know, there's that Japan Droids album coming out in January. You should listen to it, because it'll be good, because I said so. Chinese Democracy 2. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. Uh, So I'll go first with my yesterday recommendation. Colin, you recently lent me a book, uh, Chuck Klosterman's Fargo, Fargo Rock City. What was it called? Yeah, Fargo Rock City. I just like Detroit Rock City. And I've been enjoying that a lot. Chuck Klosterman about (coughs) growing up in a small town in North Dakota in the 80s and being into heavy metal. So I've been checking out some of those albums. And even though I don't think most of those artists are traditionally good or even just good at all, (laughs) I've still enjoyed some of them. And the one I've enjoyed the most is Motley Crue's Shout of the Devil. listened to it a couple times it's only like 36 minutes super catchy really stupid but man i'm having a blast listening to that album like shout of the devil is such a great um cheesy rock song they do like a cover of helter skelter i don't have you ever heard this album i know you read the book obviously i don't know if you're compelled to go check out yeah no i really like that book but i read it in like a week and i just like didn't 
I don't know, I just never went to the trouble of really listening to any of the music in that book. Just reading him write about that music, I guess, was enough for me. I'm really taking my time with it. Some of those songs aren't necessarily bad. Like, Looks That Kill is a song that I'm pretty into. You know, I think Nikki Six, like, he knew how to write catchy songs, but performance-wise, it's, like, really cheesy. Vince Neil is the worst singer. If you Google Vince Neil singer, you'll find nothing but people saying, like, he's on the top ten list for the worst. Like, he's always, he's horrible. Especially, you know, they just did, like, their last tour ever, like, a year ago. And I almost went to one of those shows because I wanted to see Alice Cooper, and he was on the tour. And I was reading some reviews, and everyone's like, Vince Neil is so bad. Just kick him out of the band. It's an embarrassment. And he's, like, all fat and stuff. It's like, oh, my God. I know he's had a hard life, and he's had some bad stuff happen to him. But the dude's a fucking mess. He's not, like, a great musician. Which is too bad because I feel like some of the guys in that band have some musical talent. I don't know that Nikki Six is a great musician, but he's an okay songwriter. Mm. Tommy Lee's, a, 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 like, a good drummer, which surprises me because yeah. it seems like he should suck, but he's very good. <laughs> and there's Mick Mars, that old mummy man. He's okay. <laughs> but no, there, there's big personalities. It's big music. It's dumb music. It's fun music. Um... We have our own band, Poon, where we kind of do <laughs> cheesy uh, hard rock music. We'll talk about that probably on a future podcast. So it's definitely ins- it definitely inspires me in that vein, like listening to a band like Kiss. It's like, this is catchy, but this sucks. <laughs> so, yeah, I kind of jokingly recommend it. Like I recommend you watch the movie Commando or something. It's like it's entertaining, but it's not a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Colin, what's your Yesterday album? Um, my yesterday album is one by Stevie Wonder that I hadn't heard until recently called Music of My Mind. Eva, why have you engulfed so many hearts? Eva, Eva, why have you destroyed so many minds? I don't even, I don't know that one. It's uh, from 1972. I think you could kind of say it's like the start of his 70s renaissance or whatever you want to call it when he was just putting out all this great music and a lot of it was, you know, just him playing all the instruments, kind of originating the Prince approach or whatever you want to call it, but... It's, uh, yeah, it's really good, and it's, it weirdly doesn't have, like, any hits on it, which is rare for any of those Stevie Wonder albums from the 70s. Um, and I don't want to get into the state of the world right now, but, like, I've been getting very into Stevie Wonder right now. It's felt like good healing music. Like, in particular, there's a song on this album called Evil, and I couldn't help but listen to it over and over again that election night for reasons that you'll notice immediately if you listen to the song. But, like, I also went and bought uh, Songs in the Key of Life on vinyl. Have you heard that one? Of course. It's so good. There's yeah. so much of it, and it's so good. And it's like, you get reminded of it when you buy the, the vinyl version because it's a double album plus an EP, mm-hmm. so it's like, it's over a hundred minutes long, and there's not a bad song in it, on it, it's oh, no. great. I know, yeah, I know a bunch of them, it's got like a billion hits. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Stevie Wonder, and it's, it's, yeah, it's just been good music to listen to right now, because it, 
you know, radiates love and joy and human empathy, but it also has like a social conscience to it too. It's just uh Yeah. Not a dude we should take for granted. Oh no, of course. While he's still with us. This is interesting. It looks like it's right before his period of just like huge smash hits. I yeah. mean obviously he had hits before that, because he had hits in the sixties too, but like Yeah. So that's interesting. There's just one there in the middle that I uh, that I missed. <laughs> it's I guess it's it's easy to miss when you have like those other huge albums around it. So, yeah. but he's always good. No, I want to check that out. Music of my mind, 1972. Cool. All right. Uh, so for my today album, it's not an album I've listened to a whole lot. Um, I kind of just had it on in the background on like Spotify, and I feel like I really should listen to it now because it's an important album right now. And that's Leonard Cohen's You Want It Darker, his last album. If you are the dealer, I'm out of the game. If you are the healer, means I'm broken and lame. If thine is the glory, then mine must be the shame. You want it darker, we kill the flame. You know, another one of the great Canadian artists. (laughs) And I was uh, listening... uh, to a handful of his records after he died and his old folk stuff which I like I like his first album a lot but I kind of like his transition to I don't even know what you'd want to call it almost like like low key pop like dead man pop I've heard it's like I've heard people describe it as music to slit your wrist <laughs> it's just very gravelly and very dark and always talking about death and it's, it's creepy that this is kind of his last album but it's also a great album to go out on it feels very appropriate I think he knew he wasn't doing that well health wise just a, no, he had that interview where yeah, he's like, yeah. I'm ready to die. I'm ready to die. And then he clarified, a, like a week or two later, he's like, you know, I'm not that ready to die. But then he died. So it wasn't like the most surprising <laughs> celebrity death. No, I think I, I, I think I heard that too, like a, him saying that like a week before he died. Because a week before he died, around when the album came out, I, saw, I was listening to an NPR interview with... Uh, there's like a, a Jewish men's chorus that sing on this album, and they're mm-hmm. interviewing like the, you know, the rabbi, the head rabbi at that church. Yeah, I guess that would be somewhere in Quebec, maybe, and talking about his relationship with Leonard Cohen over the years. And how Leonard Cohen always kind of kept Judaism a part of his music, though, despite the fact that he's also like a Buddhist and all these other things. Like he, he kept a lot of influences, and. Uh, that Jewish choir on um, on this album is really interesting. This is men's chorus. At first, I was like, "What is that? What are those vocals?" It's like, "Oh, it's a bunch of men singing," but it's not like burly men. It's like beautiful. Like it's very, it's very interesting contrast with this beautiful like church singing against like you want to talk on the front. It's like scary. Kind of reminds me of why I like Tom Waits. It's very like scary kind of theatrical music. Yeah, and. Uh, I look forward to checking it out more. It might pop up again in the, the top ten albums of the year for me list on on Miley Please later this year. We'll see. It's good. Yeah, I should probably check it out. I mean, I I've been wanting to listen to Leonard Cohen for a while, even before he died. And I yeah, I've listened to that first album quite a few times. I like it a lot. But uh, yeah, for the most part, he's just like I'm not in the mood for something that dark right now. I need something. <laughs> At least, sort of hopeful. Especially not now. It's tough. It's been a tough year. Yeah, I don't know. But so I'll get around to it eventually. Yeah. Uh, my uh, album. I feel weird because this is a rock <laughs> podcast, and both the albums are I'm recommending are really rock. But um, I've been getting into the last couple of days the new Tribe Called Quest album. 
box with a capital G, ball in the beat. Status Chris Paul or John Wall in the league. Grab a mic till the knuckles will bleed. Cause I believe the potent and I'm potent. Have you geek like speed? If rationale is natural, I will weave. It's all edges and peace. Set and press me on a permanent speed. I'm in the world with my princess player. Ain't you feeling my beta? really good from what I can tell. Again, I don't think I've spent enough time with it. It, um, it definitely reminds me of an album like uh, To Pimp a Butterfly from last year where it's just dense. There's, it's just an immaculately produced album. And uh, it's, it's surprisingly great for a band that hasn't released any albums since the late 90s. And uh, Fife died last year so it's probably their last album that they'll ever release and uh yeah i gotta spend more time with it but it's it seems really awesome even despite the fact that i usually don't go out of my way to listen to hip-hop but i've always liked a tribe called quest yeah i really don't know much about them it's I've definitely the one i've always heard too it's like oh i'll get to it but uh <laughs> <clears throat> no and i feel like this new album is definitely a good time for me to start and it's definitely a very timely album. If you saw some of those songs that they performed on, on SNL, there's the one move, one song where the chorus is just <laughs> basically about all the minorities that America wants to shove out of the country. And you know, it was recorded. Yeah, I heard that one. It was recorded before the election, but I don't know. A lot of a lot of the songs on here deal with stuff that we're dealing with now yeah i think that kind of discrimination has always been around it uh but it's only now that we're starting to notice it more yep and it's good also to have artists like that who are speaking out about it to kind of spread that word definitely i've definitely been in a mood for more sort of militant music about fighting back against the system like thursday on my morning commute where i'm usually not even in the mood to listen to any music let alone music that's this abrasive but i was like all right on my morning commute i'm gonna listen to public enemy yeah <laughs> which was, fuck it. was just like fuck everything we gotta fucking fight back man fight the power so uh yeah this is a good album for that too <laughs> sounds like it all right um there you have it <clears throat> If you like what you heard and want to hear more, you can always check out this podcast, Rock Talk, by searching Mildly Pleased on iTunes or by looking up our site, Mildly Pleased, and look at some of our other articles about pop culture and whatnot. And shoot us an email if you got time. I don't know if we've ever received one. So we probably have. Maybe. Probably from some I don't even out. know who runs the email account. I'm sure Sean has <laughs> access to it. Sean does. I don't know if he's ever checked it. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, check out mildlyplease.com. We'll try to put more content up there uh, soon. There's lots of good movies coming out. Lots of good albums coming out, maybe. We'll see. Probably not, but I <laughs> feel like because it's December, I think, or at least I will start doing the uh, our annual yearly wrap-up reviews. Yeah, where we just all the stuff we miss. Review all the movies. Yeah, review all the music that we didn't get around to reviewing during the year. And who knows? Maybe we can throw some of that into a podcast or something. That could be fun. Sure. Yeah, maybe we'll do a year-end podcast. I don't know. All right, so before we go, make sure to give thanks this year. Watch football, eat some turkey, and have a slice of pumpkin pie because King Harvest has surely come. Thank you.